Hello and welcome to Timeless Files, a fan podcast for the TV show Timeless. I am your host, Chris Butler. This week we continue to get glimpses of Season 2 in new versions of the trailer. The first episode of Season 2 has been seen by critics and seems to have been reviewed very favourably so far, which is great to see. Apparently there is some kind of giant spoiler associated with the first episode, which so far I've managed to avoid and I hope no one gives it away, whatever it is, before I get to watch it myself. Obviously I've been looking at everything that's been going on on social media related to Timeless, but I'm going to cut back on that now because it's getting a bit spoilery maybe for me. I was really excited to see the first trailers coming through, but... I've seen enough now and I'll wait to see the episodes themselves. After all, it's only a few weeks to wait now. Probably less by the time this podcast goes out. There's still no news on a UK premiere date for Timeless Season 2, so I'm starting to feel like there could be a big delay before it's shown here. I won't be waiting for that though, I will definitely be watching along with the US broadcasts. Okay, that's enough on Season 2. Let's get on with the episode in hand. This time I'm talking about Season 1, Episode 10, The Capture of Benedict Arnold. The episode begins in the year 1780, with Benedict Arnold leaving his wife and baby son behind as he tries to defect from the American Continental Army to the British Army. Strangely, there's no caption to confirm the date, but it's revealed in the dialogue later in the episode, so maybe they thought the caption wasn't needed. Benedict's wife has to meet George Washington, General Washington, and pretend she knows nothing of her husband's whereabouts or intentions. But General Washington gets word of Arnold's betrayal and is furious, but he's too late to prevent Arnold from defecting. We cut to Lucy and Agent Christopher. Surprisingly, Christopher has invited Lucy to her home for dinner. We discover Denise has a wife, Michelle. They've been together for 17 years. And although we don't see them, we're told they have two children, Olivia and Mark. Michelle says Lucy is the first colleague of Denise's she has ever met. So Denise Christopher is clearly not in the habit of mixing her work with her personal life. When they're alone, Lucy asks what's behind the invitation. Lucy says she knows that Rufus has talked to Denise about Rittenhouse, which is something that would have happened immediately after the previous episode. Denise says she's looking into Rittenhouse, but what's really affecting her and keeping her awake at nights is the knowledge that Lucy's mother has not only lost a daughter, Lucy's sister Amy, but that she doesn't even know she ever had another daughter to begin with. Denise says she can't bear the thought that something similar could happen to her, that history could be changed and she might never know her own family. They could be erased from history too. She gives Lucy a USB drive filled with photos and other information all about her family and asks Lucy to keep this with her in the lifeboat so that if anything does happen to erase them, 
Lucy will be able to return the drive to Agent Christopher and tell her all about this night when Lucy met her family and so that Agent Christopher would know who they were. It's a lovely scene and it establishes Agent Christopher, played by Sakina Jaffrey, as a much more prominent character in the show than she has been up until now, which I am definitely in favour of. I think the more rounded she is as a character, the more we're going to care about what happens to her as the story progresses. And the scene is a clever piece of writing, I think, because it not only tells us much more about Agent Christopher, but also gives a new perspective on the responsibility that's resting on Lucy's shoulders. How much Agent Christopher and everyone else is really depending on her. We cut to Rufus and Gia. They're at Gia's apartment and they're playing a video game together. Because what else would they do? But they're interrupted by Connor Mason, who arrives and asks to speak to Rufus alone. Rufus spots immediately that Mason is drunk. Mason starts justifying himself for the choices that he's made. Then he tells Rufus that Rittenhouse know that he's been tampering with the recordings he's been making. Most recently we saw him turn off the recorder in the Bonnie and Clyde episode, briefly. But there's been other lapses in the recording too, including in the Stranded episode where Wyatt threw the recorder into a river. So that one was lost. Mason warns Rufus that he must make the recordings properly on the next mission. He says otherwise he can't protect Rufus anymore. He says he really is very sorry. Rufus takes the recorder from him, but the fact that Rufus is recording everything that happens as this episode progresses becomes a big problem for him. Just as Sakina Jaffrey got something a bit deeper to work with with this script, so does Patterson Joseph here. He's a charming drunk, and he's believably lost and unable to do anything except plead with Rufus to do what he's asked. Incidentally, when Gia comes back into the room after Mason has left, she says, what was that about? From which I think we can deduce that Rufus is not telling Gia everything about what's going on with Mason or Rittenhouse. When Lucy is told that Flynn has gone to September 25th, 1780, and she's told the location, she knows immediately that it's got to be about this moment when Benedict Arnold defects. The team are wondering if this is going to be an attempt to kill Washington, or if Flynn might be trying to help the British to win the war. Connor Mason, who is British of course, sort of scoffs at that idea. He's still drunk though. A quick time jump later, and Wyatt, Rufus and Lucy arrive at Benedict Arnold's house, obviously with the hope of discovering what it is that Flynn is there to do. They wander into the grounds and towards the house, thinking no one is around. But then they're surrounded by soldiers, and Washington himself appears before them, and asks them what they're doing there. Lucy recognises Washington and is suitably differential. This is ten years before Washington became president. Actually nine years, I think, but who's counting? They're placed in a room alone and are discussing what might happen to them when the unexpected happens to them. Garcia Flynn walks into the room. 
Now, an odd thing here is that Wyatt still has his gun. So, George Washington let a bunch of strangers into Benedict Arnold's house, didn't frisk them, and then left them unattended, with a gun. There must be an explanation, but I just can't think of one right now. Wyatt takes out his gun, but Flynn dissuades him from using it when he says he has a man in the next room who will kill Washington if Wyatt doesn't behave. Lucy tells Wyatt to put his gun away. He hesitates, but when Washington comes into the room, he quickly hides the gun. Flynn is claiming to be Austin Rowe, a spy loyal to Washington, and he's claiming that Wyatt, Lucy and Rufus are also spies. Washington believes this and he sends them on a mission to capture Benedict Arnold and bring him back. After Washington leaves and they're alone again, Lucy asks what happened to the real Austin Rowe and Flynn says he's dead in a ditch. It seems Flynn needs Lucy and her knowledge of the history here to help him to get to Benedict Arnold. But he says he has no intention of giving Benedict back to Washington. He intends to interrogate him. Lucy asks why, and he shows them the scroll, which he acquired at the end of the previous episode, which Lucy picks up and reads. The credits are coming up on screen at this point. This episode is written by Tom Smuts, who previously wrote episode two, which was the assassination of Abraham Lincoln episode. And the episode is directed by John F. Showalter, it's his first episode of Timeless, but he'll be back for episode 12 of season 1. And he has also directed many other TV shows, including episodes of Supernatural, The 100, and The Flash. So this is the scroll that was recovered from inside a clock using the key Flynn took from Bonnie Parker. Bonnie and Clyde having stolen it from Henry Ford. The scroll, it turns out, is a letter written by Benedict Arnold, which reveals that he was a founding member of Rittenhouse. Flynn sees the possibility that he can destroy Rittenhouse here when it has barely begun. Rufus says they can't be talking about this. He's saying that because of the audio recordings he's being forced to make for Mason and Rittenhouse. Flynn reveals that he knows all about the recordings. He couldn't care less about any of that because his goal is to wipe Rittenhouse out. So they won't matter anyway. Lucy does not want to change history. It's completely against what she is striving to do. Flynn tears out a few pages from her journal and gives them to her. He thinks this will convince her that Rittenhouse needs to be stopped. Wyatt says flatly that he's not helping Flynn. But then Flynn says that he can give Wyatt the name of the man who killed Jessica. He says there was blood found at the scene of the murder that was not Jessica's and Flynn knows whose blood it was. So he's offering each of them something. He's offering the name of Wyatt's killer. He's offering to solve Rufus's problem by taking out Rittenhouse. And he's offering to return the mothership to them. 
which will free Lucy and all of them from having to chase him through time. Rufus compares helping Flynn with what Benedict Arnold has done in defecting to the other side. I think this could well be the way that this episode was pitched, actually. It's a clever idea. Let's create a scenario in which Lucy, Wyatt and Rufus are kind of forced to work with the other side. And let's have this play out against the history of a very famous traitor in Benedict Arnold. Wyatt is very tempted. Rufus is just terrified that Rittenhouse will know if he tries to act against them. But at this point his best option might be to go ahead and try to wipe Rittenhouse from history. Lucy reads out events mentioned in the journal pages. The Trail of Tears, the Jonestown Massacre, the Waco Siege, all supposedly influenced by Rittenhouse and all potentially future episodes of Timeless, I guess. Nevertheless, her instinct is that history should be preserved, even the worst of it. Regardless of what they might want to do, for the moment they seem to be swept up in Flynn's plan. The four of them run to the British shouting that they're deserting, hotly pursued by some of Washington's soldiers to make it look convincing. So they've made it over to the British side without getting shot by either set of soldiers. They ask to see Benedict Arnold and are brought before him that evening. Incidentally, there's a lovely shot of a ship in the harbour here, which is only shown for a few seconds. Mainly it's there to establish that it's now night time, but it's kind of an extravagant shot just for that. Maybe it wasn't that expensive to do, I don't know. But I'm sure if they had less money to work with, there's no way that shot would have made it into the episode. I'm reminded of the aerial shot of Fort Duquesne in the Stranded episode, which was another really impressive shot that was only used for a very brief moment. Anyway, they convince Benedict to talk with them, but he has some guards with him. Um... Flynn makes a brief attempt to persuade Benedict to speak with them alone, but he refuses, so Flynn shoots and kills the other men in the room, including Earl Cornwallis, who had stuff to do in history following 1780, but Flynn really doesn't care. Flynn shows Benedict the scroll. At first he denies all knowledge of it, or it now, but Lucy tries a different approach. She paints a very sympathetic picture of Benedict Arnold, an attempt to win his trust, I guess. And eventually he does admit to knowing Rittenhouse, but they're all shocked when he says that Rittenhouse is one man, not an organisation as they had always supposed. His name is David Rittenhouse, and if it's only one man at this point in history then they are right at the beginning of what Rittenhouse will become. Flynn tells Benedict he's going to introduce them to David Rittenhouse. At first Benedict refuses, but Flynn says if he doesn't return to General Washington within three days, then Washington is going to execute Benedict's wife for treason. So Benedict gives in and agrees, although he warns them David Rittenhouse will have Lucy in his bed 
and Rufus as a slave in his fields. Wyatt, Lucy and Rufus have a discussion about whether they can really go along with killing David Rittenhouse, as Flynn certainly intends to do. This is essentially the classic would-you-kill-Hitler question, if you could go back in time to before he committed all of his atrocities. Rufus says yes. He and his family are being directly threatened by them in the present day, and if it's only one man to be killed here, then they should do it. You know, he's only defending himself. Wyatt agrees too. He's a soldier and he's killed before. Rufus is also killed. Although it was one of Flynn's men he killed rather than someone from Rittenhouse. Lucy, as you would expect, is the most reluctant. It's impossible to predict how large the impact on history would be. Wyatt argues that the likely outcome is that they will help a lot of people and surely that is more important than preserving a history where people suffer. They're out of time, they need to go if they're going. So finally she agrees. On the way to meet Rittenhouse, they have to stop to let the horses drink. Lucy and Flynn find themselves alone for a moment. We haven't had a scene like this between the two of them for a few episodes. She notices he's good with the horses. She asks him if he's successful in killing Rittenhouse. What will he do then? He says he will go to see his wife and daughter, who will be alive again, and then he will leave them because... He doesn't deserve them anymore, with what he's become. He can't be a husband or father after what he's done. It's another example of... Flynn knows he's doing terrible things, but he cannot stop. When they get to Rittenhouse's estate, might be the word, they decide it's just not possible to have Rufus with them. They wouldn't be able to explain why he was there. So Rufus is left behind and Benedict gets the others into the main house. There they meet a boy named John, who is David Rittenhouse's son. There seems to be an obsession with clocks. The room is filled with them. Lucy sits down and talks with John and gets some insight into his father's views, which are all about controlling people while giving them the illusion of democracy. John says peasants are like the hands of a clock and they are controlled by the clockmaker. It's kind of creepy, the vibe coming off John and what it says about his relationship with his father. Then David Rittenhouse joins them with other men, guards of some kind. They seem more like thugs, really. The part of David Rittenhouse is played by Armin Shimmerman. The legend, best known for playing Quark in Star Trek Deep Space Nine and Principal Snyder in Buffy the Vampire Slayer. If Flynn was going to kill Rittenhouse, now was the moment to do it. But that doesn't happen. It feels like a misstep in the writing for me. Why would Flynn hesitate? We don't even see him hesitate. He's just not in the scene for a moment. So Rittenhouse walks up to them. He asks for a closer look at Lucy, a 
and proceeds to assess her purely as someone to be sent to his bed, whether she likes it or not. And this is just as Benedict Arnold had predicted. She reacts angrily, but Rittenhouse's guards take the initiative suddenly. They put a knife to Lucy's throat and point guns at Wyatt and Flynn. Rittenhouse says he could tell immediately from the atmosphere in the room that they were there to harm him. But they've missed their opportunity and he has the upper hand now. Rufus approaches the estate on foot. He mingles with the slaves but then manages to overcome a guard and take the guard's rifle from him. Rufus has certainly become a lot braver over the course of the series. Back inside, Rittenhouse examines the gun he's taken from Wyatt, I think. Possibly Flynn. He says he's never seen anything like it. Benedict is claiming he had no idea anyone meant to harm him. Rittenhouse tears him apart, saying he's an idiot who betrayed his best friend. And why would Rittenhouse ever trust him? And then he shoots him several times with the gun. This is a big change to history, by the way, because Benedict wasn't supposed to die here. Rittenhouse is impressed with the gun. He says that he will soon figure out its design. He calls to his son and tells him he's going to have to watch as he kills Wyatt and Flynn. John says he doesn't want to watch, but David says he needs to see the world as it really is. Lucy is dragged away out of the room, and just when everything seems lost, in comes Rufus, who fires the rifle he's acquired, hitting one of the guards. A fight breaks out, and Wyatt and Flynn manage to overcome the rest of the guards, leaving Rittenhouse undefended. Lucy comes back in the room at the end of this. Presumably she's managed to free herself somehow from the men who took her away. We didn't see that, but good for Lucy. Flynn is not going to let anything stop him now. Rittenhouse tells him that killing him won't make any difference, that there are others. But Flynn shoots him dead. Flynn's next question is, where's the boy? John Rittenhouse has somehow managed to escape from the room. Wyatt and Lucy make it clear Flynn is going too far if he intends to kill Rittenhouse's son. Flynn says he doesn't want to, but he has to, because John believes the same things as his father. And Flynn runs from the room and out into the grounds in search of John. The others lose sight of him, but split up to try to find him. Uh, Flynn does find John. John Rittenhouse begs him not to kill him. Flynn has a clear opportunity to do exactly that, but he doesn't take his chance. And this time we do see Flynn's indecision. The writers of Timeless constantly tread this line with Flynn. Is he or isn't he a monster? He's certainly not without a conscience. He strengthens his resolve to do it, but when he turns back to John again, Lucy has thrown herself in front of the boy and is shielding him. They argue about whether or not John is a threat to anyone. Lucy insists she can't let Flynn kill a child. He eventually pulls her aside, but only to find that John has managed to escape again, and he isn't there behind her anymore. You might think that Flynn would carry on trying to find him, but he doesn't. In a rage, he drags Lucy away. She's calling out to Wyatt and Rufus, but then the mothership appears, 
and Flynn drags her inside. White and Rufus can't do anything as the mothership disappears, taking Lucy with it. And that's the end of the episode. <laughs> The question of diversity in all aspects of the entertainment industry, whether it be film and TV or in books or any other media, is obviously something that gets talked about a lot now, and rightfully so. Timeless doesn't make a big deal of it. It doesn't point to itself and say, hey look, we're a very diverse production. But it is, both in front of the camera and behind the scenes. It shouldn't be anything particularly noteworthy when a show gets this right. But actually it is worth taking notice of. And maybe Timeless deserves a bit more recognition for what it's been doing. Another thing you can say about Timeless, and it's not something I expected when I first started watching it, is that the story does move forward in great leaps and bounds. I mentioned in one of my first podcasts that the show looked a bit formulaic in the beginning, but it's proved to be anything but as it's gone forward. I think the structure of season one is very like a novel, um, with a real progression across the season as a whole, rather than the sort of repetitive, episodic nature of a lot of TV shows. And I think that's one of the reasons why I'm enjoying it so much. So here we meet David Rittenhouse, and you might expect this would be the first of many encounters, but no, Flynn kills him. And you might expect that this would be something saved for the season finale, but no, this is happening in episode 10 of 16. And the big question is, where will the show go from here? It's a shame we didn't get more of Armin Shimmerman. He's really good in this, and he makes a big impact in not a lot of screen time. I think George Washington and Benedict Arnold don't really have that much to do in this episode, which is a slight shame, and certainly they're overshadowed by Shimmerman's performance as David Rittenhouse. I really like the way the moral dilemma escalates through this episode. Wyatt, Rufus and Lucy all agree that killing David Rittenhouse can be justified. But when it comes to killing John Rittenhouse, that's a different matter. But is it though? At what point do you become just as big a monster as the one that you're trying to kill? The episode ends on a bigger cliffhanger than we've probably seen before in Timeless, with Flynn abducting Lucy and taking her away in the mothership. Join me next time when I'll be discussing what happened next. That'll be episode 11, The World's Columbian Exposition. Until then, all the podcasts so far are available on the site at timelessfiles.podbean.com or in all the usual podcasting places including iTunes, Stitcher and TuneIn. And you can find me on Twitter at at timelessfiles. Thanks for listening. I'll see you next time.